Welcome back to the Killington Download Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Cash. In this last episode of season one, we get everyone excited for the first snow of the season by welcoming snowmaking manager for Killington Resort, Greg Gleason, to the podcast. We talked to Greg about starting winter when he says so, everything that goes into getting rhyme buffed out for the first turns of winter, why the snowmaking pipe is always on the skier's left side of the trail, and his favorite trail to make snow on, and it certainly isn't what you think it is. Then, as always, we finish up the podcast with a conversation with President and General Manager of Killington and Pico, Mike Salamano. We start every episode checking with Crystal Clary, who has a new title. I'm going to let her say it. Crystal, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. And my new title is Brand Marketing and Communications Manager. Congratulations to you. Very exciting. Thank um, you. But let's just jump right in. What's happening here at The Beast? Yeah, so we've had a lot already happening in September, but we're excited to kick off Brewfest this weekend at Pico. Tickets are still available, and it's just such a good time. I don't know if you've ever been there as a guest, but I have before I worked here, and it was such a good time. 40 local breweries? 40 local breweries. That's a lot of beer and 10 tastings. That's a lot of breweries. A lot. I mean, <laughs> I mean a lot, a lot. Okay, so the, that's this weekend at Pico? Yes. I might have to come check out the 40 breweries. Uh, and then the weekend following is Harvest Fair? No. So we get one weekend off. Okay. Our events team finally gets a break. Okay. And then we move into Harvest Fair on October 8th. So Saturday. And it's like that, you know, the regular fall festival is going to have pumpkin painting and stuff with apples. And then they're doing a one liter beer hold where they hold the beers out in front of them. And uh, they do that for prizes, and it's, and it's just it's fun to watch. It's I was funny. Up, I was up here mountain biking a bunch of years ago on a Saturday, and it was it was that was going on, and it was a it was a ton of fun to watch. Also, sounds I mean, besides holding the leader of beer, uh, kid friendly. Yes, very kid friendly. Other than that one part of it. <laughs> on my drive up here this morning, uh, the the leaves have really started to change. Uh, we're starting to see some yellows, some reds, some golds. The K one gondola is now open. Yeah, so now it's open seven days a week through October 10th. And yeah, like you said, the scenery is changing quickly and it's going to be so bright soon. And then, of course, we roll into snow season. I brought my parents up the K1 gondola a bunch of years ago uh, to check out the foliage. The The Peak Lodge was packed with leaf peepers and it was it was just a really awesome afternoon. Yeah, so fun. And the Peak Lodge will be open most days, but you can check the conditions report to find out when they are open or when the Subi Shack is open instead. Okay. So the gondola is running till October 10th to check out the foliage. And then winter starts when we say so, when we at Killington say so, when Greg Gleason says so, our our guests coming up. Um, Tell us about early winter. Yeah. So we're going to kick it off with day one, like we always do. And then we'll roll right into the K1 Base Lodge opening. Very exciting. So exciting. And World Cup Thanksgiving weekend. World Cup, we look forward to that. Uh, world's best racers bombing down Preston's pitch. Uh, always fun and just amazing to watch. If uh, if any of the listeners haven't watched a World Cup race in person, I can't tell you how awesome it is, how fast they go, how steep it, uh, you know, the bottom pitch is so steep and they're just, I mean, railing edge to edge. Uh, it's it's the most exciting thing that happens at Killington all year in my, in my eyes. Um, I suggest everybody come check that out. Crystal, thank you very much for coming on all season long. And we look forward to maybe season two. Yeah, me too. 
All right, Beast listeners, our final guest for season one is Greg Gleason. Greg is the snowmaking manager here at Killington. He is the man responsible for all that great snow, early season, late season. He's the reason we're on Rhyme early. He's the reason we're on Superstar late. He's making the snow. He starts winter when he says so. Greg Gleason, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for coming. Um, We're recording this in mid-September. I got to imagine it's probably getting a little busy for you, starting to plan for uh, snowmaking up in Rhyme, and we'll get to that a little bit later. But let's take a step back, and you grew up in western New York. Central, yeah. Central New York, uh, across the street from Song Mountain. Song Mountain, little Song Mountain, yep. You told me in a conversation we had last week that you... You had a view out your window at the mountain, and you would see the snowmakers at night getting ready to blow snow for the season and such, and, and you, would, you would run over across the street and go check it all out. Yeah, they made snow under the lights, so I knew those lights were coming on. Uh, make snow, by the way. Make snow. Yeah. Yep, yep. Make snow. Never blow. Never blow. And uh, I wasn't able to sleep, so uh, I went and walked. So they knew I was coming. They told me not to touch anything. They would leave me food, snacks at the top lift shack, and... Thanks. So you so you just go across the street and check out the snowmaking. I would just walk around the mountain. Yeah, getting excited for ski season. Yeah, I mean, like as a as a ski and snowboard nut, that must have been a like to live across the street from a mountain, even if it's just little tiny Song Mountain. Like that must have been really exciting. It was great. I mean, roll over in the middle of the night and you could see them turning on guns, turning off guns, whatever they were doing. I had a view of it. So snowmaking ingrained into you at a very young age. And I can't remember when it started. It's just something that was there. Cool. So how did you end up, you know, was Killington always, you know, how did you discover Killington, I should say? My father always brought me up skiing, uh, particularly spring. I can recall numerous times on Superstar and Monstrous Bumps. I don't know how young I was. I've got lots of stories from it. Um, Just was always up at Killington. That's the one resort I remember going to over and over and over. And did that lead you to go to college at the, at the time, Green Mountain Hospitality Program, now Castleton Hospitality Program? Maybe I'm not sure exact school yeah, so name. but Green Mountain when I was there. Now it's mm-hmm. Castleton, yep. RHM program. I knew I had to go to college. One parent was, you have to go. One parent was, do what you want to do. So I could be a professional ski bump. <laughs> and so I chose Green Mountain College. It was the only place I looked at, the only place I applied to. They accepted me. I'd never seen the dorms. I just showed up. And yeah, that was that. Just on a whim, you're like, I'm going there. I'm going to be at the base of Killington going to school. That was it. It was a mile. Yep. The dorms were a mile from the K-1 gondola. So that was the selling point. So the the, the resort and hospitality program has, uh, it's kind of a co-op almost. You're working at the you're working at the resort and going to school at the same time. And your first job was in snowmaking. Yep. I went and applied. Uh, Greg Hiltz was the manager at the time. Turns out he wasn't going to hire me. I bugged him for weeks. Went into his office and he had a couple piles of paper, pulled me out of one of them, and turns out that was the do not hire. <laughs> so I pestered him enough and uh, got the job and and got my foot in the door there in 2006. Squeaky wheel. Yeah, that's exactly. awesome. So, so you went from the do not hire pile pile to you know you're here 15, 20 years later, making snow. Um, so you, you graduate Green Mountain. Uh, you had a lot of jobs while you were at the college. One interesting fact that you let me in on is right down the hallway from where we're recording here is the ski check. Correct. Tell us about that. So my second year, I had to get a front of the house job. So guest contact. And I chose to be the head of bell staff and valet. I didn't choose. I got hired. I had to apply and all that fun stuff. There was no ski check. And uh, just 
we needed one. So I believe Dwayne Hall was in charge at the time, and we set up ski check in a closet up by the front door now. Now it's down here, and it's legit. Yeah. Uh, back then it was not, but we still checked your skis. So I started that oh, 15, 17 years ago. No kidding. So a little, little bit of history there. <laughs> uh, Greg Gleason started the ski check here at the Grand. He saw a problem, fixed it, and uh, it, it goes. it's still operational to this day. And they do bikes. They do bikes, even better for the summertime. Um, so you graduate, you head out to Squaw, yep. uh, Lake Tahoe, and you continue on with snowmaking. Correct. How many years were you out in Squaw? A little over seven. And it was snowmaking every winter? Correct. Yeah, and, and summer. And summer. Yeah, I was the supervisor there after a handful of months. So I took over supervisor role. Yeah, handful. I don't remember how many months. Six months in. Yep. And held that until I came back east. And let's talk about coming back east. Out of nowhere, you get a call. Maybe not out of nowhere, but you get a call from... From uh, Dave Wright, good friend of mine. And he's the uh, grooming manager up here and. My name had come up in conversation because the snowmaking manager at the time had, well, to this day, he's been here almost 45 years. So, you know, approaching the end of his career and no one in the department quite wanted the supervisor role. That's how my name got tossed around into the mix. And I had moved back to New York and working a different job for a pump company and was less than ideal, making snow. So I put myself in that mix and in October 2017, uh, I was hired on as an operations foreman here at Cunnington, and with hopes to become the supervisor, I made it well known, like, yeah. you know, when Greg retires, other Greg, there's two Gregs here, yeah. so I can get confusing, that I wanted that job. So I was hired on as an ops foreman with hopes to become the supervisor. And as we sit here right now, as of June 1st, you're the supervisor. I'm the manager now. Manager, sorry, yeah, so, sorry, sorry, no, I'm, I'm messing up terms. Super, ops foreman, the supervisor, and then as of this past June, manager. Awesome. Well, congratulations hey, on thanks. that. Um, so in these, in the last, say, five years here at Killington, or seven years, how many years did uh, you say? To October will be five years. Okay, so October five, five years. Five, yeah. um, I, I would say Killington's gone through a, a good amount of changes sure. um, in the snowmaking department. With the Play Forever uh, initiative, you know, we're always trying to reduce emissions and greenhouse gases and such. And the, the resort has a lot of really cool programs geared toward that. Uh, tell us what snow, what, what the snowmaking department is doing for, you know, play forever. So for play forever, there's a lot of things that snowmaking can do because we do consume quite a bit of energy, electricity, compressing air and pumping water. So the first part that most people see is the snow guns. There are low energy, high efficiency snow guns that have been popping up ever since 2012, 20, I mean, they've been around for some years now, but really, uh, the 2013, 2014, they came out in numbers at Killington. So you'll see those on the hill. That's what people do see. And then for... Are those the big tower guns? Well, there's tower guns that aren't high efficiency. Okay. So, but the ones, people call it a beak, like on Superstar up there, they've got a beak. Those are efficient snow guns. They have a fixed amount of air that they use because most guns in the old days used a lot of air. And then as it got colder, they used less air. But these tower guns have fixed amounts of air that they use. Hmm. So that's the thing that guests see. Um, this year we're uh, installing a new air compressor. The compressors that are in use currently were, I don't know, anywhere from the late 80s to early 90s they were installed. And they age, everything ages, so they don't have the output that they used to when they were new, and then technology has improved. So uh, we have a new compressor being installed currently that will be operational for this season. And the best way to explain it is 
the old compressors were on or off. They made X amount of air, and it was either all put on the hill, and if it wasn't all put on the hill and we didn't need it, the excess air was just exhausted outside. So this new compressor is a variable speed to an extent, so I believe it can ramp the motor up and down about 30%. So if it needs 70% of its capacity to be used on the hill, it can do that without making extra air and exhausting it on the hill, if that, that makes sense. That, that, that it makes sense to me, that, and that's very interesting. Let's, let's actually take a step back, and how do you make snow? Like, get it down to the most granular, like, think about someone driving in their car right now. Sure. They have no idea what, like, how do you make snow? So you pump water up the hill at high pressure, and the same with air. Water's higher pressure, and then there are steel pipelines buried in the ground or laying on top of the ground with hydrants. So those hydrants get hoses to go and connect to a gun, and high-pressure air blasts high-pressure water, makes a fine particle. If it's below freezing, you've got yourself some snow. So the, the, the air shoots the water out, and it, it almost makes it a mist. Pretty I mean, pretty yeah. much. And then that mist freezes a whole lot easier than, you know, like turning on a garden hose when it's Correct. So, zero degrees so we're, we're trying to achieve nucleation is the scientific oh, term. Hold so, on, wait a second. Let's yeah. take a step. Nucleation. nucleation. Explain, explain to me nucleation. Nucleation is trying to break down water into, well, perfect nucleation would be one single H2O molecule. Oh. And that hits a piece of dust or an impurity in the air because, believe it or not, pure H2O does not freeze well. You okay. need some sort of sure. dirt, dust, something. Some it of it could to be grab in the water. Onto. It could be in the water. It could be in the air. Mm-hmm. You know, smoke is a good one to think yeah. of in the air. Um, so we're trying to achieve nucleation, so very small water particles. So some guns mix the air and water internally, make a real fine mist, shoot it out. Those high-efficiency tower guns, the, uh, the water actually just gets blasted through these really small nozzles that breaks it up, and they, they run under a higher water pressure, so that's how they operate. They have yeah. a fixed amount of air, higher water pressure, and just really small particles. And those are the tower guns? Correct. Now, uh, a bunch of years ago in the 4241 magazine, we ran a story on the K3000, I believe is the name of it, correct? Yeah, you got it. Best gun ever. Yeah, yeah. It was one of the original ones that was developed right here in Killington. Correct. Tell me how that one works. So that's our bread and butter. And in all honesty, that gun uses a lot of energy, but that it uses a lot of air. That's what gives us the flexibility to make snow when it's not quite that cold. Because mm-hmm. we go by wet bulb. It's humidity and temperature put together, ambient temperature put together. So 27 degrees with 100% humidity is 27 degree wet bulb. 27 degree ambient with 50% humidity, I don't know off the top of my head, 23, 24 degree wet bulb. Uh-huh. So we want drier air. I mean, okay. you're throwing water out in yeah. the, into the air hoping it freezes. So, I mean, in the beginning of the season, we can actually make a microclimate up in the Northridge area when you're making snow at 27 degrees, which is not, that's, that's marginal. That's not good snow making temperature, but that K3000 will do it. Whereas a high efficiency tower gun, might make some clear slush. Okay. You know? Okay, so the so the the K three thousand, those are the the workhorse snow guns. They're the ones on kind of like a almost like a tripod kind of thing, Correct. low to the ground. Mm-hmm. They got a big metal head. They make a lot of noise. Um and that noise is from the air and the water. Now it, I'm gonna take another step back. So you guys in the snowmaking department use a lot of energy. That energy comes from forcing water uphill and compressing air right like it it can't be 
it can't be easy to push water uphill. Yeah, so water's actually the easier one. Really? Yeah, compressed air takes about twice as much energy, if not more. No kidding. Yeah, so uh, you've got to take that air, compress it to, well, we run our system at 82 to 85 PSI, so that's what we look at at the top of the hill. Mm -hmm. And if you've got all your air compressors on and you've got 82 pounds of air at the top of your mountain and you turn on a couple more snow guns, you get down to 81, that's how you know you've used all of your air. Got it. But at the same time, when you compress air, that moisture is in that air. You got to get that out too. So that takes energy as well. That takes separate machines that cool. Well, you, well there's a lot to it. You got to compress the air. You've got to cool the machines that are compressing the air. Okay. You've got to cool the air that you're compressing. Okay. <laughs> and then you got to take the water out of that compressed air. So there's a, yeah, there's a lot that goes into compressed air. Water comes out of a pump through a pump up the hill. Okay. Okay. So now I'm following you. Okay. So that makes sense. And, and I, I guess, I guess I never even, you know, I always thought air and water, pff, snow comes out. Now we're cooling the air. Oh, yeah. We're cooling the compressors. We're forcing all that up in, under pressure. And water just, you just pump the water up the hill and it shoots out. There you go. Okay. I think we've got it. Or at, least, <laughs> at, least, at least it's making sense to me. There's another snow gun I see out there, say at the bottom of Mousetrap or the bottom of Superstar. Sure. And it's the, this big yellow fan, fan looking like thing. Yeah. T talk to me about those. So fan guns have... A big fan, hence the name. Go figure. Yeah. And they have, they t they run off 480 volt electricity, so they have an air compressor on board. So oh, okay. Yeah, they actually have an onboard air compressor, and it makes a little bit of air, just enough to run that gun. Um, and then it has we call it the nuke nucleation nozzle. So there's actually numerous nukes. There's about eight of them on that fan gun around the outside, yep. right? And yep. then uh, as it gets colder, you can add what we call steps or banks or valves. So that gun goes up to 15 valves or banks or steps. And as it gets colder, you increase that number and it increases how much water you're flowing. The colder it is, the more water you can freeze, the more snow you can make. That's interesting. Um, so basically we have three styles or types of guns here at the resort. We've got the kind of low efficiency K3000 type workhorses mm -hmm. that allow you to make snow at higher temperatures and and while still making a good quality snow. yeah of That's course yeah. well yeah yeah I, i'm gonna touch on that in a second i i got a, a tidbit from uh chris nyberg former gotcha uh, present gm of of the resort here um and then we've got the high efficiency tower guns most of them most there's of them. some outer limits for example has internal mixed tower guns okay so they're not they don't consume the most energy, but they definitely don't consume the least either. Got it. Got it. And then we've got these big fan guns yes. that we see the big yellow things all around the resort. Okay. So we got that, we got that covered. You mentioned good snow product and that, and that's the ultimate goal. I think Killington has obviously the largest snowmaking um, department in, in the world. Would you say? Ooh, I'm, tough there's so many things to gauge it by yeah you know you could go by water pumped air air compressed crew gun numbers hydrant numbers miles of pipe there's so many metrics so we have an extensive snowmaking system we can cover a lot of ground it's up there yeah it's up there it's up there and you know out west they don't blow as much excuse me yeah they don't make as much snow as as you know our eastern counterparts and then i'm sure in china and europe they make a lot of snow as well but that We'll leave that for another discussion. Um, and we're talking about product. And I listened to Chris Nyberg uh, give a talk at a Green Mountain College uh, snowmaking seminar. And he, he alluded to that it, it's not really snow, it's more ice. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, so, but it feels like snow underfoot. 
I mean, Mother Nature makes those beautiful crystals. That stuff has time to fall from tens of thousands of feet down. And yeah, we're just a really fine ice particle in all honesty. Yeah. Yeah. So it, 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 we call it snow making. Maybe in the future we call it ice making. I don't know. Snow sounds better. Snow sounds better. I'm yeah. with you. I'm with you, Greg. I'm, I'm 100% snow making. As we record this, it's middle of September. It is go time for your department, correct? Oh, yeah. Crunch time, I like to call it. Crunch it's, time. It's, it's time to wrap up all the summer projects, and the goal being to have that system ready to go October 1st. October, October 1st. October 1st, if it's cold and on, worth making the snow, like a sustained cold window, we're go time. We're going to talk about that one second. So a bunch of years ago, they put in the walkway. Yeah. Um, and that opened up a whole nother area for early season skiing. It used to be underneath, I think it was it Cascade. Was, yeah, Cascade down and, to the canyon. Yeah, and then and then there was a, a, back when the old double chair was there, I'm sure some listeners remember, you'd get on at the mid-station. You might not remember that. This podcast host remembers that. <laughs> there was a mid-station at the K-double, and you would just ski the top, and then uh, then you'd have to download all the way down the bottom. Anyway, we, we have the walkway. We have Rhyme is the the main trail that usually gets lit up first. Yep. Walk me through the preparation to get that done. You just mentioned that, um, you know, you have all the summer stuff done and ready by October 1st. You have the, 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 the system ready to operate, uh, excuse me, October 1st. Walk me through everything that goes into getting rhyme ready for snowmaking. There, there's a lot and it starts early. Yeah. We do hydrant maintenance all summer. So the first things, the first Hyd- trials we go to hydrant maintenance. So the hydrants that you connect the hoses to. Got it. Best way to explain it, it's a big machine. Okay. You've got four or five months to do maintenance and fix broken things and find things that you didn't know were broken and get them ready. So the, the early season stuff, superstar now because of World Cup and then everything up in the Northridge area. We'll go right to and address any issues that we know of and look for others first. So, and, what, and what kind of issues are we like leaky pipes? So or? The, the pipes thing we usually know of. Okay. You know, if there's a leak, we've either fixed it or no, we're going to fix it. But then hydrant issues arise. Uh, they're quick connects the hoses connect to. So they wear, they need to be replaced, things break. So we'll go and make sure that, that there's 44 hydrants on Rhyme, for example. So we've got 88 quick connects, at least on Rhyme, that have to be in good working order. And a quick connect is where the hose connects. Attaches. Okay. Yeah, there's there's some on the gun and there's some on the hydrant. Got them. Hose connects in between. So we got to go make sure all that stuff is in working order. And at the same time, guns have to be in working order. Um, then, you know, trees continually grow. So we have to make sure our hydrants aren't buried in those trees. Of course, something else I never really thought about. You know, (laughs) weed whacking and brushing and and keeping everything accessible. And then guns have to go there. So guns and hoses. So tell me about that as as a skier who loves to ski early season. Like, I'm getting excited just talking about this. So... Do you pack up all K3000s and all types of guns, and, and how do you get so, them up the hill? It's a pickup truck. Okay. So this time of year, so load the back of the pickup truck with K3s. Um, sometimes we put BRs there, too. It's another. There's two guns on a, on a tripod. K3 is the one we talk about. Everyone knows it. There's yep. another one that it's hard to differentiate unless you see them side by side, but there is another one. It's a mid-energy gun. So when we start making snow, if it's not very cold, say above 25 degrees, we're going to use the K3000. But we will put a backup gun there. So if it gets below 25 degrees, let's say, we'll switch. Oh, no. So Because it, okay. uses, it uses less air. Okay. And it'll make a decent amount of snow compared to the K3. So that allows us to stretch the air that we have and run more guns. So we can make snow on Rhyme, Reason, Upper East Fall. Uh, we also have to have killing wood snow, believe it or not. Because if K1 goes down, you can't oh, take K1 up. How do you get to Northridge? Yeah. You take the snow to triple. Yeah. And then you ski Whoops. down Killing. 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so it's just, it's a backup. You have to have a backup. So that's another trail that most people don't think of. I didn't, I didn't, I was, I was unaware you would even, I mean, it's 12 guns. It's not that many. But okay. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're so used to hopping on K1, take the walkway, ski yep. rhyme, walk back up. But how do you get to Northridge if there's an issue with K1 gondola? You gotta, you gotta you take gotta the triple. A, you gotta have a backup. So, so you, you have the guns up there via pickup truck. The hose is the same way. Same. And How much do those hoses weigh? I've seen them. Oh, uh, they're 50 foot. Well, typical length is 50 foot. Tower hoses are 25. There's two different lengths. There's a few more, but those are standard. And they're heavy. Ah, oh, gosh, if I had to guess, they're 25 to 30 pounds. I mean, there's, I mean they got to... They got to hold all that air and water. Yeah, they're they're rated to uh, six hundred pounds. No kidding. So you drive up the guns and the hoses, and then you just manually lug them down. Uh, brute the, force. Yeah. yeah. That, that, I mean, that's how Killington excels. It's just brute force. Okay. So we stack all the stuff at the top of the trail. If you can take a four wheeler or a Kubota ATV UTV yep. side by side something down the trail, you can get some gear closer to where it's going. But we don't have that luxury on all those trails, so okay. we just throw the hoses over our shoulder and start walking down. You know, usually when we transport them, they're rolled up. Yeah. So yep. when the season ends, months go into collecting all the hoses <laughs> left out on the hill, and then we have to process them. We bring them in, we let them dry, we test them, we roll them up, and then we transport them out to storage on the hill. And then we bring them to the Northridge area and Superstar and start just walking and walking and walking and setting up. We, we haven't touched on Superstar because of the World Cup, and, and that's a whole nother discussion for a whole nother podcast but so you get all the hoses connected they're all ready to roll pipes are primed let's say and then you start looking for a window of opportunity what's the highest like temperature when you start thinking about making making snow so most resorts have a target temperature who knows it could be 25 that's probably a pretty good starting point yep and i know we're not talking about world cup but with world cup we don't want to miss any opportunity to make snow so te- technically, below 32 degrees wet bulb, it's below freezing. Yep. Water temperature comes into play. So, you know, it does need to be a little colder than 32 degrees sure. wet bulb. But if we see the forecast that calls for 32 degrees two, three nights in a row, we will charge the system up and we will sit there with air and water charged. We call it charged. So that means the system's up to pressure and all you have to do is go turn on hydrants and you've got snow guns running. Okay. So, I mean, we all know weathermen aren't always right. So they could say that there's going to be a low of 32 degrees and a high of 40. But if they're off by 5 degrees, we're in business. So we, uh, we'll stand by. We'll, well that, that's what we have Mallory Brook for. Yeah, and yeah. even the best ones. <laughs> she, she was a great podcast host or guest. Sorry, uh, I forget what episode. But if you want to learn more about the weather side of it, go check that one out. Um, so you, you have everything primed, ready to roll. You, you see there's... How many days of cold weather do you need to get rime, like, ready to roll? Obviously, totally temperature dependent. So we've done it at 27 degrees, I'm guessing here. At 27 degrees, if we got 48 hours of runtime, I think we could pull it off. I might okay. be off a little bit. Yep. If it goes down to 20 degrees, we're looking at, you know, 15, 16 hours. We could do it with the K3. Yeah, so, so if you get, let's say it's 20 degrees, low humidity, you're telling us you could have rhyme up and running in 15, 20 hours max. Yeah, and that's that's early season standards. Yeah, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. Typical mid-season based stuff, yeah, yeah. but enough to get a tractor out there, a grooming machine, flatten it out, and put a good product out, because that's important to us, you know. The colder it is, 
the easier it is to make a better quality snow. Yep. So the warmer yep. it is, you don't have that adjustability. Okay. But we still have to put a good product out there. So yep. first day pass holders, but then the second day, you know, you've got yep. paying guests. Yep. But each deserve the same product. Yeah. So we we do have to have a good product out there. So so you get that you get that window. You see it. You're you're standing by. It it drops to thirty one. 30, 29, 28, 27. And then you and your team are up there and you just start walking down and turning knobs. You got it. And uh, and lo and behold, snow it, comes flying out. And it's white. And it's white. Usually. And uh, so 48 hours go by. Let's say it's 20 degrees. You have perfect weather. 48 hours go by. Do you let the snow sit for a little bit of time? or yeah, Ideally, you would like to because when you make snow, every particle of water isn't 100% frozen. You put a grooming machine on that and the particles that aren't frozen get smushed down and they get a more dense product. Some of us call it ice. Um, but really, yeah. ideally, you'd like to let it sit. It's called sublimation, so that's not a snowmaking term. That's a science term yep. where that water will evaporate, and then it won't make more snow. It'll make that pile of snow more dense, but then it's more frozen. It gives it time for that unfrozen water to freeze while it sits there. As a skier or rider, when you're on that, like, styro- they call it styrofoam or chalk, Sure. Um, that's probably from a snow gun at a very low temperature. Or you're not using as much water. And so you had a 20 degrees, K3000's making, I don't know, 20 gallons of water into snow. And that's making that snow you're talking Got about. It. Got it. A tower gun, you might be able to add step two into that. Because tower guns have steps. You can go step one. It's the littlest amount of water it can flow. Okay. Two, three, four. Some are different. Some have eight steps. But you could be at a colder temperature and not run the maximum amount of water through that tower gun so you're making a drier snow. A drier snow. Yeah, because in the beginning, when you're putting snow down on grass, it doesn't matter what it is. That bottom 8, 10 inches, no one's ever going to ski. That's no. just covering the ground, and then, yep. and then we'll dry it up. Okay, okay. So the, so there's actually thought process that goes, the, the thought process that goes into this is, you know, at first on Rhyme, you're probably blowing a pretty dense, wet product. Making. And then, What's that? Making. Making. Sorry. Sorry. I'll I'm going to get it. I'll get you every time. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get this. <laughs> we don't blow snow. We make snow. Um, it, it, you make a, a denser product, and then through dialing in the air and water, you can create a lighter, uh, I don't want to say fluffier, but drier product on top. Yep. You're correct. All right. Cool. So now we got Rhyme up and running. We, we, we know how it all happens. And then from there, you just spread out along the mountain. I know we have World Cup to deal with, so you're just constantly looking at Superstar to get yep. Superstar and Skyburst ready for the racers. Um, I, I find this all fascinating. I could talk to you for hours about this. But let, let, let's have a little more fun. What, uh, what's your favorite trail to make snow on? Favorite trail to make snow on? That's tough. Um, most people would probably answer Lower Great Eastern. Okay. Probably from East Mountain Road down. Okay. It's narrow. It's for, how do I put, for a snowmaker, that piece of the snowmaking system is very far away from the rest. So you're in no man's land. Okay. And it's not your typical snowmaking system because it is so far away. So uh, it's a very narrow trail. It's a windy trail. It's technical. That's, you know, that's what most seasoned snowmakers like is a technical trail. Also, in the past three, four years, we've put snowmaking in over on Bushwhacker at Pico. <laughs> and I... I will honestly say that I don't think I've run every snow gun on that trailer, even every other with success. The wind is always ripping. Oh. It's all of 10 foot wide. I like the challenge. So okay. I'll say I like that trail, but I don't think I've 
actually conquered that trail. Okay. I don't think anybody has because the wind is always the same. So so wind, we didn't touch about, we didn't touch on that, but there's wind as well. Like, I mean, how many times are you going up the chair and the snow guns are the snow guns are on and the wind's blowing the wrong direction? You're like, they're making snow in the woods for crying out loud. Yeah, I mean, that's part of the forecast too. You know, yeah. like obviously we're looking at the temperature, but typically our, our wind comes out of the, the west-northwest. So an east wind is bad. Most of our snowmaking, as most of you know, if you ski here all the time, if you're skiing down trail, snow guns and hydrants are on skiers left. Yep. There's a couple that are on skiers right, but those are aspects of the mountain where, and that, where and the that's, mountain changes and turns. So and like that's there. done by design. Yeah. So so it, it, it goes with the prevailing wind. Correct. Oh, no kidding. There, well, I mean, there's, there's instances where, like Superstar, for example, at the bottom, there is a little, we call it a spur line, Superstar spur line up skiers right at the bottom. Yep. So if we see east wind coming, you know, we can plan. Yeah. Put snow guns on certain areas, that being one of them, if sure. we need it. Yeah. And then we're not fighting the wind. S- making snow is a is a solitary solitary job. Like it's either you and a partner, you know, taking a run. It's usually at night. It's usually you know you're usually pretty wet and cold. What what is it about snowmaking that draws you in personally? Like what 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 makes you want to make snow? That is such a tough question. The job is fun for the select few of us that are crazy enough to call it a career. It, it is fun. It's rewarding. It's tough. You're outside. That's a big one. You know, it, it takes a certain individual to, to be outside for 10 out of 12 hours. Espe- you know, especially at like 3 o'clock in the morning. That, that's an even more special person, yeah. 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 Um, I mean, and then there are people that do prefer the night shift, believe it or not. You know, if you think about it, everybody is here during the day. People like that quietness of night. All the decisions are made during the day. Some people like the night because this is the plan and this is where we're making snow and this is what we're doing. And it's not subject to change because no one's here to change it. So for me, I enjoy seeing green and and then all of a sudden we're skiing. Uh, You can make something, you know, in front of your own eyes in a matter of hours or days. Sense of accomplishment. And and it's never the same. You know, I've made snow on Superstar how many times? And it's never once been the same. I could sit here and talk to you for a day about stories on Superstar alone. Yeah. So uh, for me, it's it's never the same. You know, I am the manager. I do have quite a bit of office work to do. But if my job was solely in the office, I wouldn't be here. Okay. So being outside. Being outside. Always different. Making a product. Yeah. I mean, sense of accomplishment. I don't know how many years I've been doing this. 17, 18 years. Yeah. I learn something every day. Snowmaking is always different. Always presenting different challenges. So... How rewarding is it, let's just say opening day for the pass holders on Rhyme, or, or you know, maybe mid-November when you open up a ram's head or, or uh, trails over a bear and you see people skiing, skiing your product for the first time. It, it, how rewarding is that? Uh, very. I mean, snowmakers, snowmakers here are heroes. Yep. And out west, I'll tell you, they hated us. <laughs> you know, why are you making snow on us while we're skiing down the one green trail to the bottom of the mountain? Yep. It was an insurance policy. I mean, it still is here, but there it was just to make sure that if it was drought or warm, there was some, some product. Here, we open everything. You know, we don't get the natural snow, and if we do, it goes away quickly. You could yep. skied so hard. So it's pretty, it, it's great. I mean, get the hoots and hollers off the lift while you're walking down doing your job and yep. you know if you try to acknowledge you guys but at the same time we got to watch where our feet are going and, <laughs> and one you got the big headphones out yeah, your bit you can hear you're you canceling can hear. okay i mean there's a lot of times where you know, 
I probably shouldn't be saying this, but we'll, we'll pretend that we don't exactly hear what you're saying. Cause <laughs> honestly, if you take your, your eyes off where you're walking or yep. you trip over a hose, then yep. not only have you fallen, that snow gun could fall. And I mean, things turn and yep. change so quickly. But yeah. But it's a, it's a, it's a high consequence job. You know, there's I mean, a lot going on. That's the other part of it. Yeah. Everything that was said, it is a dangerous job. You're talking high pressure water, high pressure air. And then in fan guns case, electricity. Yeah. And quite a bit of it. And then pump houses are even more so. Uh-huh. So, yeah, on top of all the fun things we've talked about, it still is inherently dangerous. What's your favorite trail to ski here at Kellington? Oof, that's changed over the years. Mm-hmm. I used to probably, I probably would have told you outer limits. I mean, I was skiing out yeah. west and I like skiing off cliffs and, and being in the air and not necessarily in the park. And as I've grown up, that has changed. I still like to ski fast but now i ski a lot with my wife and i would try to say probably say peak to creek you know great oh, Eastern yeah. off the top, just a really long cruiser and a couple pauses here love, and there love to, peak to, to, to creek. make sure she's still behind me and yeah and uh i'm sure that'll change more i mean i've got a nine-month-old daughter and as soon as she can stand on skis she will be out there so yeah i yeah. think my favorite child will constantly be changing yeah yeah i've i've heard that from uh other other guests as well how the you you um uh tim brosnan uh mentioned how his view of the mountain changes as he takes his kids skiing and, and, and noticing new stuff on like trails, like cruise control. Yeah. I mean, I'm anticipating it changing. I used to just ski one speed and you're just looking where you're going and now I'll, Soak in my surroundings, maybe. Well, I'm with you on Peak to Creek. I call it a juice run because we always used to go into the bottom lodge there on Route Four and the Skyship Lodge and get a get a juice or something after the long run down from the peak. But uh, like margarita juice? No, no, no. no. Well, every now and again, they've so. got good ones down there. Do they really? And tacos. Yeah. Yes. Yes, they do. <laughs> they have they have great food down there. Um, yeah, maybe a maybe a Budweiser every now and again. Yeah, I don't yeah. know, or or a long trip. Um, There's carbs and rice. Yes. Yeah. Well, you gotta, you gotta stay energized. Gotta gotta fuel yourself. Yes. Without a doubt. Full day of skiing. Um, you know, we skipped a couple of podcasts, but we got back to it on the last episode. You're waiting in line at the, you're waiting in line in Ramshead. It's a quad. You can take that lift ride with three other people. Who are you taking the lift ride with? Oh gosh. You're going to make me think here. People that are always here or anybody. It could be anybody. It could be Abe Lincoln or Mickey Mantle. It could be anybody you want. I'm going to go the snowmaking route. Okay. There, there's uh, Ron Ratnick. Is, uh, he, he owns Ratnick Industries. He's, he's, I don't know his age. He's got to be in his 80s. He's a snowmaking pioneer. Okay. So there's going to be some good stories that come from him. And, sure. And, um, gosh, Press Smith. Sure. Why not? Yeah. I've never met him. Really? I don't think so. Maybe I bumped into him at World Cup two, three years ago. Yeah, yeah. He was here nine, uh, 19, I think. But. I think him and then, um, I forget his first name because everyone calls him Slavko. He's the guy that invented the K3000. So he put those three guys on a chair with me. And if we were allowed to ride around, I bet you we would revolve many times. Sure, sure. Uh, So, you know, the guy that built Killington, uh, a snowmaking legend, actually two of them. And, you know, Ron Ratnick and then Slavko. So, Ratnick. uh, You know, I'm going to stay the snowmaking route. Ratnick, they have a gun named after him. And, And, I mean, they still make them. They do. So you got the K3000 on the tripod. The other one is also a Ratnik. So they make other things. Yeah, too, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. but, but, but Ratnik, yes, there's... We'll, we'll, we'll touch on that. I have a feeling we're going to talk again on another episode because this is fascinating to me. Um, and I think it's fascinating to everybody who is, you know, their leaves are changing, you know, pools are closed, golf courses are winding down, people are getting ready. You know, the mountain biking is, is still going strong, but you've had enough biking already. Let's, let's get to some skiing. Um, we're just weeks away. Greg, 
We wish you cold temperatures, low wet bulb, and lots of air and water pressure. Thank you for coming on the podcast, and uh, thank you for everything you do to make early season snow, late season snow, and thanks for being on the podcast. Uh, My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you. We round out every podcast welcoming President and General Manager of Killington Resort, Mike Salamano. Mike, welcome to the podcast. Great to be here. Mike, I was up on the hill not too long ago, noticed that progress of the K-1 Lodge is really moving along. Any updates on the Lodge? Yeah, I see online a lot of speculation if we're going to get it done on time. But uh, yeah, there's definitely a lot of things happening. You know, it's kind of interesting because we have some parts of the Lodge, you know, phase one that we're doing finished carpentry and painting and all that type of stuff. And then we have the front part of the Lodge towards the snow that we're still pouring some concrete. So, you know, people look at that and go, wow, they're way behind, right? But I think the key to remember is that most of the infrastructure is in phase one. And so I think we've we've really done well with that. Um, You know, we're feeling like we're still on track, but, you know, you know, it's definitely, it's going to be down to the wire, of course, but we feel like we're in pretty good shape. Who gets the first beer at the bar? Are we having a lottery for this? I think I got it. You you deserve it. (laughs) I didn't do any work on it, actually, so I probably shouldn't get it. We probably should give it to the guys who built the place. There there we go. Maybe we'll invite them over for for a round of beers. Um, We just had Greg Gleason, snowmaking manager, on the podcast, and we talked about getting Rhyme ready for opening day. Let's talk snowmaking a little bit. You know, it, it always starts in Rhyme for obvious reasons, but then it kind of seems to jump around. It certainly seemed to jump around a lot last year. What's, what's the basic plan after uh, getting, you know, the Northridge area open and running? Where do you go from there? We generally have the same plan. I know last year, maybe the year before people thought like we were changing it a lot, but there's all different reasons why that happens. Somewhat it depends when we get going, right? I mean, if we get going later, say it's, you know, mid, um, November. Sometimes if we have a really tough start, we might have to do a different kind of pattern than we might normally. But generally, we wanted to get rhyme in that whole area up there infilled. You know, then the debate is when do we go to the bottom? Do we keep doing that? Or are we going to try to, uh, you know, when we had the palm up there before, we used to sometimes infill over to the palm and do like bunny buster and try to keep everything up high. You know, now that we have the six pack, you know, we really look to see if we can get down to Snowden and then down to K1 and kind of connect those. The downside is if you spend too much capacity, you know, snowmaking capacity getting down to the bottom and then it gets warm and you lose the bottom, then you don't have much snow up top really for skiing, right? So if you spend time infilling around Rhyme and all those trails up there and really hitting those hard, that's generally what we try to do. But it, it really depends on what the weather is. And then as you go out further and you're getting closer to, say, Thanksgiving, Right. We're usually thinking by the time Thanksgiving comes, we're obviously doing World Cup. We're also looking at parking, thinking that we need parking at Ram's Head for skiing. And so we typically will eventually jump to Caper, maybe not even for as much skiing, but maybe, you know, get you a green trail and it also gets you some parking. We can park people and and uh, get them over to that pod. So, you know, and then eventually we have to get to Snowshed. And, you know, I think it's interesting because the group that's probably listening to the podcast probably doesn't care about Caper or Snowshed, right? Not, not, not the most exciting. Feel, but, you know, to move people around the mountain and get parking right and everything, we do need to do that. So it's kind of a balance of how we infill. Then you get into last year and we just felt like we kept making snow on the same trails back and forth. And, 
And, um, you know, then even after the World Cup, we had a hard time um, even getting to Bear. It just took, you know, so much capacity to keep going back on Snowden and up in uh, in the Rhyme area. And, you know, then we get to Bear. And then the next question is, like, what are you doing, Bear? Do you infill another trail or two? Or do you go down to Skyship? And you have basically the same debate, right? We need Skyship for the holidays. And we want to park people down there and get that trail. But that takes a lot of capacity. It's at lower elevation. And it's always kind of a risk reward, right? Um, and you, you spread people out on some of the green trails and trying to get more parking, but then, you know, you're debating, do you run on a green trail or do you run on a, like a cascade or a double black that sure. maybe a lot of other people want you to be on. So it's always, I think most people get it. And then, then you throw in, you know, look at last year, wildfire blew up and we had a snowmaking blowout in the middle of that. So we made snow on it and then we had a huge river down the middle of it. So, mm. You know, things like that, then you got to be able to, okay, you got to, in the middle of the night, the team has to move capacity from there, right? The whole, the whole trail's full and, you know, we got to move it somewhere else. So anyway, it's just like, it's a constant debate of kind of where to go next. That, that That's really interesting. So it it's just not, you know, pick a trail, make snow because people want to ski it. There's... There's deeper thought to it, you know, whether it's parking at Ram's Head or opening up a different area or, you know, not not spreading yourself so thin that if we do get a warm up like we had quite a bit last year, um, you know, everything's ruined. So that that that's really that's really great insight on, on why certain areas get, you know, snowmaking, you know, more so than others. You, you touched on you mentioned Snowden quite a bit. Uh, I'm told there's a bit of reshaping around the tunnel kind of uh, where Bunny Buster and Great Northern come together? Yeah, one of the things we we're trying to, you know, we definitely got some feedback that some people are ending up on mousetrap that probably couldn't handle that trail sometimes during the year. And I think what happens is people are coming down Great Northern and the way, you know, the, the trail kind of turns left into that tunnel right yep. above mousetrap. Yep. And, you know, that's been kind of a tough intersection there. We, you know, put that in to, to make it a better intersection and it's worked, but we realized we could do some more work. So the team this summer did some grading. It's really going to make the fall line coming down Great Northern naturally bring you into that tunnel and make it harder for people coming down Great Northern to kind of go down Mousetrap, which we want people to, by default, go through the tunnel unless they know where they're going and then try to get out and go down Mousetrap, which yep. I think the way it was working is people that didn't know, because, you know, we had changed the blue, we had changed Great Northern to a blue to keep beginners off of it. But then, you know, that group that comes down Great Northern, if they end up going over Mousetrap, especially midday, that's a much harder trail than Great Northern. So we really don't want that. So uh, the team worked pretty hard. We had to, you know, reconfigure parts of, of that trail and, and do some 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 grading and a lot of different work. So we think that that's naturally going to bring them into the tunnel. And I, I'm hopeful that, that that really helps us out in that area. I happen to be up at the U.S. Open of uh, mountain biking and noticed a, a new retaining wall down at the bottom of, uh, in front of the Ram's Head Lodge and the, the bottom of the Ram's Head Quad. What's going on there? Yeah, so as we look at our, you know, our lifts, we're always trying to figure out where to improve. And I would say, you know, we look at probably the biggest challenging area we have is Ramshead, right? We added the Woodward Parks there. You know, people are parking there first thing. A lot of all the kids programs are going out of there. So, you know, I think at 930 to 11, that can be a challenging lift. You know, we're, we're, we've worked really hard to spread people out, but we definitely get hit capacity in that lift. So one of the things we did was, 
we had the crew, Corey, um, you know, is one of our excavator guys yep. and builds all our parks in the winter. And, and he's like, Hey, I can build a retaining wall here. And so we built the retaining wall. We picked up about maybe 30 feet in that maze the, wow. coming towards the building, which yep. for us is going to help us reconfigure the maze. And, you know, two things, one fit more people in the maze, but also reconfigure it some. And we, we are, the way it's configured down there, we are turning people a couple of times to get to the lift for various reasons. Um, but we're also talking about moving the gates, you know, the gates on that lift are pretty close to the, to the lift, which is always a problem. If they get, if somebody has a problem with their RFID card or gets stuck in the gate, um, what can happen is they're so close to, you know, they could be the next people to, to load the lift. And yep. next one we have, we have lifts going up empty or, or two people instead of four. So we're trying to, we're looking at trying to move the May, the um, RFID gate earlier in the process. So hopefully you'll go through the gate even before you get into the main part of the maze. So therefore people only need to pay attention to basically just going and, and turning and going into the lift and you don't have to worry about navigating the RFID. And I think the big point here is we're just always looking at our lifts and there's a couple other configurations that are kind of more modest in some of the other lifts areas, but just trying to look at all of them and saying, how do we make the flow better? How do we, how do we continue to move people better? And, you know, anytime it's busy, if we're not putting four people up in a chair, we're going to have a problem. And inherently in a, in a snowshed and Ram said, because you have more beginners, it's harder anyway to do that. Right. So it's naturally harder because people are unsure about getting on the lift and we need to kind of make it as simple as possible. So. That explains everything. I mean, you, you don't think about it, but on a, busy Saturday morning, if four or five chairs go up empty or, or not at full capacity, that line will get backed up, you know, in a, in a heartbeat. And, and no one wants that. Everybody wants to ski. Uh, Mike, we covered a lot, you know, everything from the K1 Lodge update to, to snowmaking, Great Northern, Ramshead. Anything else to add? No, I was just thinking as we're talking about Ramshead, I don't know if this is interesting for people, but sometimes people probably wonder why some of the lifts we load straight on and some we actually have people turn before they get into the maze. Great question. You know, and so Ramshead's one of those where you go in and you turn and you go kind of away from the maze as you're getting on, right? And you could load that directly. The reason we do that on those is because it gives people more time to get to the corral, right? So in, in lift areas where there's, more beginners, you need to do that. The downside on a place like that is we need to make them turn once, which okay. you don't really want beginners turning too often because that causes another yeah, problem. Yeah, right? so yeah. I think, you know, anyway, just, I think it'll be interesting to see if some of the changes we make, if that, you know, sometimes I know we, we make a new change and it causes a new problem. So yeah. I'm hopeful that's not it, but, but the crew is, you know, always looking at this and going, okay, I, pretty much looked around last year and that was the one thing that was glaring to me. I mean, I think both these issues, you know, the, the tunnel up on Snowden was definitely a challenge. And, you know, I think the Rams had maze and it'd be interesting if uh, people have other thoughts of other areas we need to improve, but we're doing some other smaller things. They'll probably notice as well, but leave that for another episode. Sure. Sure. There, there's, there's more insight that I, I had never honestly given any thought to why, why do some lifts you kind of load and have to turn versus just straight on. It makes complete sense giving a maybe a perhaps a, a beginner skier a little more time to to get on the lift. Brilliant. Mike, thanks for all the insight. Uh, season one has been a blast. Thanks for coming on every episode. And we look forward to having you on season two. Can't wait for it. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you to Crystal, Greg, and Mike for joining me on the season finale of the Killington Download podcast. 
Also, thank you to all our guests who joined me for season one. We can't thank you enough for sharing your time. As always, make sure you follow Killington on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for all the fresh content. I have links to all that in the Killington app in the show notes below. Till season two, I'm Justin Cash. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you at The Beast.